Hello, and welcome to this candidate forum for the 60th and 61st State House Districts. I am Fran Eckenrode, co-president of the League of Women Voters of the Kalamazoo area. Our moderator is Gordon Evans, WMUK FM news reporter and producer. I will be keeping time for the candidates to ensure that the formal parts of this forum are kept to the time allotted. I will hold up cards, example, that indicate how much time is left for each candidate to speak. The sponsors for this forum include El Concilio, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, Kalamazoo Alumni, Kalamazoo County Advocates for Senior Issues, National Association of Black Law Enforcement Executives, West Michigan Chapter, Public Media Network, Western Michigan University's Department of Political Science, WMU We Vote, and WMUK. I would like to thank all of the sponsors for promoting this forum for online viewing. This is an important service to our community. The League of Women Voters is a nonpartisan politi political organization that encourages the informed and active participation of citizens in government and influences public policy through education and advocacy. The League was established in 1920. The League of Women Voters does not support or oppose a political party or an individual candidate for public office. The League does support issues after careful study without regard to the stand of any political party. It is our privilege to provide voters with information to help them cast an informed vote. The League does, does this by publishing voter guides online at vote411.org and in print form and by sponsoring public forums like this one. Please note that recordings of this forum may not be used without the express written approval of the League. The League will only allow audio video of this event to be shared in its entirety, except by the media reporting on this event. To make this forum an informative event that conforms to League principles of fairness, each candidate has agreed to adhere to our ground rules. I will now turn over the forum to our moderator, Gordon Evans. Thank you, Fran. Hello, everyone. The forum will start with an opening statement from each candidate of up to one minute. Then I will pose questions to the candidates. We will rotate the order of who responds first. Questions come from the forum sponsors and the league. Each candidate will have up to one minute to respond to each question. At the conclusion of the questions, each candidate will have up to two minutes for a closing statement. Candidates for the 60th State House District are Gary Mitchell, Julie Rogers, and Stephanie Moore. Candidates for the 61st State House District are Bronwyn Haltom and Christine Morse. Bronwyn Haltom did not respond to the invitation to participate in this forum. By agreement of the candidates, we will be addressing each other by first names. We are going to start in alphabetical order for our opening statements. Uh, Gary Mitchell, your opening statement, please. You have 60 seconds. Wonderful, thank you. First of all, I'd like to thank the League of Women Voters for inviting me for this and Gordon for uh, moderating. And uh, 
Anyhow, in the last uh, few years, or actually this year, a whole lot, I keep hearing people say that they're making, people in government saying that they're making decisions based on science. And uh, I am a scientist, actually. I have a doctorate in chemical, in uh, physical chemistry, and I've been doing chemical physics at the Dow Chemical Company for about 24 years. So um, I can see that uh, much of the science that's actually being spouted is not not good science, and uh, they're not making proper decisions. I'm, I wanna, I'm, a, I'm happy to come out of retirement and go to Lansing and help out and uh, start seeing help make decisions happen with science, with good science in a logical manner. And for the best of the people, we need what we need in, in, in government is sci science, logic, and love. Thank you. Thank you. Stephanie Moore, your opening statement, please, 60 seconds. Thank you and good afternoon. Thank you to the League of Women Voters of the co-sponsors for creating this space so that the voters can hear from all of the candidates. And thank you to all of you who are listening today. So I'm here today running as a candidate, a write-in candidate for the 60th District State House because there was such an outcry from the community really wanting to have adequate representation of someone who can represent all of Kalamazoo and not just some parts of it. We have a lot of great opportunities in Kalamazoo, especially when it comes to advancing our education, strengthening our economy, making sure that we keep uh, our, our entrepreneurs strong in businesses, but also there's health issues. We're dealing with everything from this global pandemic to even gun violence here in Kalamazoo. We need someone rooted in this community, someone like me who's born and raised, has been through the school system, has very connected to the community all across the 60th district. I have the experience from the city to the county, been in leadership, and I know the policies being the chair of the 60th District Community Services Charity Board for the last four years. So I'm ready to serve. Thank you. Christine Morse, your opening statement, please, 60 seconds. Yes, thank you again for the opportunity uh, to present this evening. I'm Christine Morse. I'm running for the 61st District in Kalamazoo County. I'm gonna give you a little bit about my background. I was born and raised in Tecumseh, Michigan on the east side. Grew up in a strong Ford family. My dad's dream was for his daughters to all go to college. After attending public schools, uh, I attended Michigan State and Wayne State University Law School. I had met my husband, Kevin, in the Navy. Uh, he served, our, he served the, us for 11 years, and so we traveled from coast to coast in Japan, finally settling here in Kalamazoo in 2010. Uh, we chose Kalamazoo because we wanted to raise our kids here. Even though moving here in the height of the recession was a risk, we wanted to help rebuild our community. Um, I am so grateful to be serving our community as county commissioner, and I hope to take um, our message of transparent, accessible leadership to Lansing and make positive change. Thank you. And Julie Rogers, your opening statement, 60 seconds. Hi, thank you also for having us. I appreciate all the sponsors and all of you for joining in today. Um, I have had the privilege of serving on the Kalamazoo County Board of Commissioners for eight years or four terms, serving District 5. And I'm also a physical therapist with Ascension Board. Really why I'm running for state representative is because of my healthcare background. With COVID, I think now more than ever, Lansing needs at least a few representatives with some health knowledge to make good decisions for everyone. 
I think that our most vulnerable populations, the older, the younger, and our communities of color desperately need a voice to fight for them in Lansing. I've also had the privilege of being elected to the Michigan Association of Counties Board of Directors and have served on that board for a number of years, National Association of Counties Health Steering Committee, um, and a variety of arts commissions. I also have the distinct privilege of being one of 25 women um, elected to the Class of 2019 Women in Government Program, where I've had some wonderful mentors and I appreciate the time today. Thank you. Thank you. We'll move on to questions. And the first uh, question will go to Stephanie Moore first. What actions have you taken or will you take to improve voter turnout and confidence in the election process? Absolutely. For the last 22 years, I've done grassroots civic engagement, voter education, voter registration, and get out the vote. So I've been making sure that people have equal, fair, and access to the election process. I will also uh, say that I work with the ACLU for a number of years, uh, working on uh, making sure prop that the proposition passed that expanded our current voting rights. Uh, so I was there getting those signatures and pushing that policy. As a policymaker for the last 12 years at the city and the county, County, uh, level. I definitely plan on in Lansing making sure that we are protecting voting rights, expanding voting rights so people have that access and reduce the barriers and making sure uh, that people understand their right to vote so that they can not only vote but also be a part of the process in being a candidate uh, and being tr treated fairly. We have um, uh, uh, voter disenfranchisement right here in Kalamazoo. And I was on the front line, the only person speaking out and demanding fair elections for everyone. Thank you. Christine Morse, the same question for you. What actions have you taken or will you take to improve voter turnout and confidence in the election process? So first of all, I am so grateful for the new voting laws that we have here, thanks to voters in our state. Um, it has provided tremendous opportunity to expand the ability for people to vote, um, especially through the permanent absentee system and the work that our Secretary of State has done to uh, make sure all citizens understand their right to vote here in our state. Um, as a person who's making you know, hundreds of thousands of calls, uh, we are talking to voters every day, telling them how they can uh, vote absentee, telling them where to look up this information at michigan.gov backslash vote, and making sure uh, they have uh, all the steps they need to, to take that step to use their voice and vote. Um, we also are encouraging people to not only vote absentee, but drop their uh, ballot off at the clerk's office because we want to make sure that their vote is counted. And the best way to do that is to drive straight to your clerk's office and, and drop it off. Julie Rogers, the same question for you. Actions you have taken or will take to improve voter turnout and confidence in the election process. Thank you for the question. Uh, like Christine, our team has been making many, many, many phone calls as well. And the first thing we start out with is what is your plan to vote? It's been sad to me that many people are unaware of their voting rights. And so um, I think that we have an opportunity as the county clerk is an open seat this year. Um, I've been really uh, spreading the message that we need innovation in our clerk's office. Um, our current clerk does not use social media. So I look forward to innovation and improvements in that office. Um, I've been a longtime member of the League of Women Voters and uh, have actually helped deliver voting guides uh, to various communities over the years. I also would support um, postage paid 
um, return envelopes because I think they did that in the um, for the first uh, one before the primary, but not for the general election. So every registered voter should have a postage paid envelope and receive that ballot if they so desire. Thank you. Gary Mitchell, what actions have you taken or will you take to improve voter turnout and confidence in the election process? Okay, I'm uh, of course, I'm also having outreach to voters and um, encouraging them to vote and um, finding and, and talking about uh, when, and, and encourage them, as Christine said, I think that uh, to uh, actually take your ballot down to the clerk's office, you don't, don't uh, put it in the mailbox and assume it'll get, especially if you're, if you're mailing it late, you need to make sure that it gets there. Um, I'm really a little worried about the, these absentee ballots this time. The, apparently our voter rolls are not being uh, carefully um, checked on and, and uh, there's ex extra voters in. I've heard many tales of people who've, who've lived in the same house for 10 years and they're getting still uh, uh, in mail in or ballots or uh, requests for ballots coming to them for people that lived there 10 years ago. And so uh, the voter rolls really need to be fixed before we do this again. Um, I, you know, I worry what happens, you know, I mean, that those, those some, I mean, there's too many, there's so many voters going vote uh, absentee this time that they're gonna have a hard time doing due diligence on things voting or not. On to our next question. Uh, Christine Morris will answer first. What policies will you propose to support improved education outcomes for Michigan students and the readiness for employment and how is the COVID-19 pandemic being considered in your approach? Well, as a mother of three kids who have attended public schools, um, two of whom are currently in Portage Public Schools, um, I definitely pay attention to what's happening with our education system. Um, there, we need a lot of improvement here in Michigan. So what, we're, what you proposed was po the policy aspect. We need educators to weigh in on standards that work for our kids. And we need to look at other systems that are providing kids with positive results. Uh, it, you know, we don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel, but I'm sure we have plenty of uh, people here in our state who can help us get to a place of, of kids having a lot of success. Uh, I also would, I would like us to improve our um, career training, whether we're talking about encouraging kids to go to the trades or police and fire or culinary school, making sure they understand all their options for careers be beyond just the four-year degree, because we are at the point where that's not necessarily, uh, it's not the only option for people. In terms of COVID, I think the schools are doing the best they can with the information they have, and I just hope they continue to remain safe. Thank you. Julie Rogers, what policies will you propose to support improved educational outcomes for Michigan students and their readiness for employment? And how is the COVID-19 pandemic being considered in your approach? Well, I'd like to start by applauding Governor Whitmer. She had a fantastic announcement in the last week for our frontline workers that have really put their lives on the line during COVID. Um, that announcement was for um, post-secondary uh, community colleges or helping people get their GEDs and um, that it would be paid for by this uh, through a combination of CARES, federal CARES dollars. Um, that is a great way to um, allow people to really improve their wages and diversify their education. Um, with COVID, I think we have to be flexible and innovative. Uh, I agree with Christine that we need to have teachers input and um, those who are in the classroom really need to help shape and guide us uh, as, we, as we move forward with legislation. 
Um, the other thing I wanted to point out is that Kalamazoo County did approve and I supported a new uh, career tech millage. And so I think we need to really double down and get going with that. Um, that's a huge opportunity for our kids in Kalamazoo County. Thank you. Gary Mitchell, what policies will you propose to support improved educational outcomes for Michigan students and their readiness for employment? And how is the COVID-19 pandemic being considered in your approach? Thank you, Gordon. Uh, yeah. I think um, I, our schools are actually, we're not getting our money's worth out of our schools these days. When uh, 60% of the children that lead, or students that graduate from high school need to do remedial work in order to get into college, that's kind of, that's really, uh, we can do way better than that. Um, I, uh, so the, I've noticed that charter schools apparently do way better and actually, and they do it for uh, for less money. I think uh, one thing we need to do is encourage more public charter schools. Another thing uh, that um, we, um, another, another thing that we should do is, uh, the other problem that we have is that kids come out of school and they don't know uh, American history, they don't know American government, and they need to be taught those things in order for our republic to survive. And so I'm uh, one thing we can do about that is have students required to take the citizenship test before they uh, are graduated from high school. So I'm suggesting that. And uh, Stephanie Moore, what policies will you propose to support improved educational outcomes for Michigan students and their readiness for employment? And how is the COVID-19 pandemic being considered in your approach? Well, let me just say I'm a proud product of the council public school system and I applaud the staff, the teachers, the administrators and the families who struggle through, especially during this time of COVID. Uh, absolutely, the first thing that has to be considered is the budget. Because of the shift of everything being virtual, folks are working in different places, we ought to make sure that the funding is there to ensure that the people that need Wi-Fi access, technical access, to be able to effectively communicate, teach and be able to receive everything that they need to do in terms of the educational experience, the public school educational experience. Also, I think you got to look at legislation specifically around the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act to make sure that one, it's funded, two, that we are being very creative in getting our workforce trained, skilled, developed, and to work, but also eliminating the barriers so that they can maintain employment. But most importantly, Gordon, we got to make sure that we are supporting, sustaining our entrepreneurs, minority-owned businesses, and locally-owned businesses so we can continue to stimulate our economy. Move on to our next question. And we'll start with Julie Rogers. Do you believe there is systemic racism in Michigan institutions? If so, describe what actions you will take to address it. And if not, describe your rationale. Thank you for the question. This is a very important and serious topic that has been overlooked for too long. I think throughout our systems, there is systemic racism, starting with my uh, profession, healthcare. I've served on the Borg Ascension Borges Diversity Council for a number of years and really worked internally to try to change some of these barriers. Whether we're talking about healthcare, education, um, employment opportunities, this country has had uh, racism for way too long. 
Um, one of the things that I think absolutely needs to be addressed is the Medicaid system. And with the, the recent, the current legislature, they put work requirements on Medicaid. And I think your health care should be between you and your health provider. It's one small example of how uh, systemic racism has trickled down into a very real way. Our communities of color need, um, need to have leadership that recognizes these things and does something about them. Thank you. Gary Mitchell, do you believe there is systemic racism in Michigan institutions? If so, describe what actions you will take to, to address it, and if not, describe your rationale. Uh, there is, I'm sure, there is indeed racism. Um, when I was uh, 20 years ago, when I lived in uh, Midland, Michigan, small town, a lot of uh, people that uh, with higher education there, however, I had a good friend of mine who's a black man, actually he's from Africa, not an African-American, African. -American, in Kenya, and uh, he had a PhD. He was a very smart guy, working up in the high up in the company pretty quickly. And uh, he used to tell me that he would be walking around his neighborhood. This is a neighborhood of three hundred thousand dollar homes back twenty years ago, so pretty well-to-do neighborhood, right? And uh, he would, and the police would stop him and start questioning him about what he was doing. He'd say, "Have to say he was walking around black." I think that's. That's an awful thing. You know, we can't be having that happen. I hope it's not happening anymore. But I don't know how systemic that is. I don't know how much systemic racism there is going on. I don't think, I think we have laws against most of those things. And if there is racism, like stuff like that, we need to uh, address that and fix it. Thank you. Thank you. Stephanie Moore, do you believe there is systemic racism in Michigan institutions? If so, describe what actions you will take to address it. And if not, describe your rationale. Absolutely in Michigan uh, institutions, but actually Gordon, all across the country. We have had a history of these United States of institutionalized racism. And I believe what we have to do is really be intentional about anti-racism work. That includes training, that includes knowledge around policy uh, and how we are looking at policy from an equity lens. And it also really means empowering people, especially those in leadership and those who want to be in leadership to have access access and opportunity to be in the room, the decision-making tables, to pin that policy, uh, to be able to fund budgets to those policies. I can tell you at the local level, I'm the only commissioner that have passed resolutions uh, regarding reparations, uh, anti-police uh, re uh, resolution. I also uh, did rep uh, a resolution that uh, th it is a health crisis. Racism is a health crisis. And so you have to have representation in the room to address these systemic issues because so many of the other legislators do not have that experience, that lens, or the will to do anti-racism work. Christine Morse, do you believe there is systemic racism in Michigan institutions? If so, describe what actions you will take to address it, and if not, describe your rationale. Well, I do, Gordon, because you don't have to look very far to find examples of that. Right here in Kalamazoo, uh, we had housing redlining that happened for many decades that we still, um, are, the effects of that are still being felt today. Whether you're talking about our um, infant mortality rate for babies of color being three times that of white babies, we we already declared healthcare uh, is uh, or I'm sorry, racism is a public health crisis here in our county. Um, so we've acknowledged it at the county level, and what we need to do is number one, acknowledge it on a wider scale, and number two, look for ways that we can try to undo the damage that's been done. So whether we're talking about biased training um, for medical schools or you know. Uh, 
the housing is a very challenging issue because you know, that means we need to look back and see how can we invest in these communities so that um, so we can lift them up since they've been held, held back for so long. Obviously, criminal justice is another area where um, racism has been alive and well uh, since the beginning here in our United States. And I know there's a lot of bipartisan work being done there. And we are gonna move on to our next question, which does concern criminal justice. What, if any actions, must the legislature take to improve criminal justice in the state and public confidence in the justice system? Gary Mitchell, you get this question first. Thank you. Uh, well, first of all, I really like to applaud what the Trump uh, administration did in the last few months or the last couple of years, I guess, in the First Step Act. That's uh, done a lot to address it, at least at the federal level. Uh, at this, at, at our level, um, we need to uh, we need to look at some of the similar things. Uh, how do we uh, stop recidivism? How do we we get people? If people go and serve their time in prison and uh, let them, uh, when they get out, let's let's help them to stay out. And uh, and there are programs that the federal government, I guess, is putting into process from the First Step Act in order to programs as they're in prison to to uh, uh, address that recidivism. I think that's important. And uh, uh, and then when they get out, like they get out of prison, I noticed uh, recently uh, in in. In uh, Kalamazoo, we passed an ordinance about uh, discrimination uh, and uh, saying that we can't discriminate now against uh, 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 felons. But um, I think I think there's other ways to address that issue. Thank you. I guess I don't have time for it. Sorry, Stephanie Moore. What, if any, actions must the legislature take to improve criminal justice in the state and public confidence in the justice system? Policy change that has to be swift from an equity lens and it has to be fully funded. We acknowledge that racism exists. So we know the disparities across the board, especially when it comes to criminal justice system. So we have to be honest about what's happening. We have to have a plan that's going to fix it. And that plan has to be rooted in policy. And that policy has to be uh, embedded with, with equity, with fairness and justice for all. We also got to look at it from a, a trauma informed lens as well. What has happened to the individuals who have been victims of this uh, of these disparities for so long and how do we help them succeed empower them to be better advocates for themselves and also we got to do a lot of relationship building understand the black indigenous people of color communities to be able to work with them hear their concerns and be able to turn that around in policy that is fully funded across the board that's the work that needs to be done at the state legislature we need to dismantle the pipeline to prison and we need to fully fund and redirect the agencies and organizations to provide by the direct services that get at the root causes of the issues people are facing. Christine Morse, what if any actions must the legislature take to improve criminal justice in the state and public confidence in the justice system? Well, I would like to first point out that the governor um, put a task force together that included Chief Justice McCormick. Uh, that put out a big list of recommendations of improvements to the criminal justice system that can start to change uh, what's been in place. So a couple of things I wanna highlight just from personal experience, I was, as a county commissioner, I was able to participate in um, the drug diversion court um, in, in the day where the, the, all the, everyone came together that works on these cases and actually was a graduation uh, for one of the gentlemen that was involved. And it was so inspiring to see these people, the, the members of the justice system, really committed to helping people succeed 
and, and the thing that we really need to ensure we're doing is once people have served their time, we need to make sure we're not continuing uh, to punish them for the rest of their lives for something that they already paid for. Um, so, you know, that that's expungement, you know, we need to work on giving people the opportunity to succeed after, you know, the criminal justice system has done its work. Julie Rogers, what, if any, actions must the legislature take to improve criminal justice in the state and public confidence in the justice system? Like Christine said, I applaud the governor's task force on criminal justice reform, and I think there were 18 different policy areas or recommendations, and I would start there. That, that list has been by state, made by statewide experts across the field, judges, um, community members, um, people that had been formerly incarcerated. I also applaud the ban the box policies, and I think we need to do more of that on a state level. Um, when, once you've served your time, you've served your time and you should be able to get on with your life. And right now um, that follows you and it makes, uh, it makes employment very difficult. Um, I also worked with um, several partners, Sheriff Fuller, then Mayor Bobby Hopewell on procuring a MacArthur Foundation grant, working to um, see what we could do with young adults and youth with criminal justice reform. I think we need to, specifically on policy, decriminalize minor infractions like driving without a license or failure to appears. Those are, um, those are small infractions and should not be uh, locked up in our jail. Move on to our next question on the environment. Stephanie Moore, you'll get this question first. Do you believe we are facing a climate crisis? If so, what state policies and practices will you support to address it? And if not, explain your rationale. Absolutely, we are. And I believe science is real. And I think that we have to absolutely uh, adhere to it uh, and, and take on those recommendations. Environmental justice is a huge issue, especially in the inner city, uh, the urban core, and how it impacts uh, uh, residents, particularly in Kalamazoo. When we're talking about uh, contaminated spaces where we should have been extracting those contaminations and not necessarily burying in them and covering them up. And how those things impact health, asthma, upper respiratory, respiratory uh, issues. So again, it's just that ripple effect of these issues that have the most disparate effect on the most vulnerable people in our community. We have to legislate these things. We have to make sure that we're holding the EPA accountable, that even in Kalamazoo, where we have this horrible smell in the downtown and the east side of the Kalamazoo, that we are addressing that in a real and meaningful way. We're engaging the community. We're better understanding. Uh, even me, I own a vehicle that is environmental friendly, but making sure that we are recycling uh, and that we have the things in place to educate and empower all residents in our community to be environmental friendly. Christine Morse, same question for you. Are we facing a climate crisis? And if so, what state policies and practices will you support to address it? If not, explain your rationale. I believe we are facing a climate crisis and as county commissioners, uh, we voted as such. Um, and also I am a county commissioner in district nine, which has had flooding that's go been going on for almost three years now. Um, and, and it's really unprecedented. Uh, it hasn't happened in 70 year, 60 or 70 years. And there's no easy solution for how we're gonna fix this and how we're gonna, how we're gonna um, allow these people to live in their homes because there's been many that have been destroyed already. So the governor proposed $40 million um, to help us prepare for uh, situations where we need to help our local communities out. Unfortunately, because of COVID and budget 
issues, that wasn't something that, that is going to happen. But she also, uh, just yesterday, they announced that there's something called Catalyst Committee, where they have put together an organization that is intent is to prepare local communities for uh, emergencies that arise due to climate change. So that that is education and training and preparedness um, that the state is, is going to work with people on. Julie Rogers, do you believe that we are facing a climate crisis? And if so, what state policies and practices will you support to address it? If not, explain your rationale. Absolutely. We only have to look outside at either the sunrise or the sunset and see that haze from the fires and smoke from California to, to recognize it. Um, I actually, the resolution Christine Morse um, mentioned was I brought forward to the Board of Commissioners declaring a, a climate crisis or a climate emergency. Um, I also have worked in with the budget policy on a sustainability policy. We're working on the 2022 budget and 2021 budget, excuse me. Um, and we're really needing to continue strengthening that. We need a comprehensive plan across the state for environmental protection. I've served on the county's Brownfield Authority Board for a number of years, and I'm tired of being reactive and doing the cleanup. We need to be proactive, hold polluters accountable, and uh, make sure we we have clean, safe drinking water, which should be a human right. Um, we've had PFAS, everyone knows, in Kalamazoo, and too, too many incidences of it. Um, I'm glad that the legislature is finally taking that up and, and setting some benchmarks, but there's much, much more we can do. Thank you. Gary Mitchell, do you believe we're facing a climate crisis? And if so, what state policies and practices will you support to address it? If not, explain your rationale. Well, the climate is changing. It always changes. That's a, that's, we can see that happening. Uh, and there may and there may be some issues that we have to address from it. The for uh, for instance, the height of the lake levels this year are very high, and and even the lakes in uh, Kalamazoo County, as uh, Julie mentioned, um, those are issues, and those need to be looked into. But um, there's not really, uh, I mean, there's no man-made climate. We have no idea that there's any man-made climate uh, crisis. It's uh. You can tell, I mean, it's not based on carbon dioxide, for instance, everybody wants to do that, but I mean, they've been, uh, there's been, um, there, there are many uh, computer models of the, of the climate that have been done and they put in carbon dioxide changes as, as uh, in those programs to show the change in the, in the, in the temperature. But in fact, uh, they, don't, they don't work because carbon dioxide is not the cause of the tooth uh, thing. But, but I do agree with some lot what Stephanie said about cleaning up and, and what Julie said about getting rid of the PFAS in, thank uh, you. in our water. So thank you. We are going to pause for just a moment so I can remind our viewers that recordings of this forum may not be used without the express written approval of the League of Women Voters. The League will only allow audio video of this event to be shared in its entirety, except by the media reporting on this event. So we'll now resume with questions and candidate responses. We're going to go to jobs in the economy. Christine Morris, you'll get this question first. What solutions do you offer to support training and access to jobs that can close the income equality gap? And how is the COVID-19 pandemic being considered in that approach? Well, number one, uh, we know that uh, in our state, the labor unions have been undermined for many years. Um, which has contributed to rising income inequality uh, with the fact that uh, right to work was taken away, uh, or I'm sorry, right to work was enacted and prevailing wage were um, taken away. 
we really have seen a growth in, in income inequality here, not just in our state, but across the country. Um, I, I also think that, again, something we talked about earlier, where we're getting to kids younger in their education and encouraging them to, you know, consider the trades, consider other options where you can have a really great standard of living um, and, and encourage them to go that route. Uh, COVID obviously has created immense challenges for small business owners, um, you know, especially restaurants and gyms. Uh, so we need to find a way to support them, um, whether that's you know, grants or loans that we can help them to get through this crisis uh, and put people back to work. Julie Rogers, solutions that you would offer for supporting training uh, for access to jobs that can close the income quality gap and how is the COVID-19 pandemic being considered in your approach? Sure. Um, I served as the county commission liaison to the workforce development board for a number of years and uh, we really have been promoting the skilled trades um, there's a, a wide variety of opportunities, and as Christine alluded to, really our um, income equality has been uh, worsened because of some of the uh, attacks on, on labor in our state. Um, I think, like I mentioned earlier, the governor's new announcement is um, an innovative way, like she said, with frontline workers and um, healthcare and grocery stores, uh, giving them some funding for retooling, reinventing, and re-educating. Um, I also think uh, small business loans um, and really doubling down on that and also supplementing the Workforce Innovation Act from the federal government has been flat for a number of years. So looking to Michigan and seeing how we can complement that um, and really boost our workforce development um, agencies at the local level and supplement them, um, we could really, we could really um, procure more grant dollars with those kinds of partnerships. Thank you. Gary Mitchell, solutions that you would offer to support training for and access to jobs that can close the income quality gap, and how is the COVID-19 pandemic being considered in your approach? Thank you. So yeah, so even though I do have my doctorate in uh, chemistry, I'm I'm not I don't necessarily think that everybody should be taking should be going to college. I think uh, there's a lot of jobs out there in in the technical field that are important, needed, and actually pay pretty well. And uh, so I encourage people to do that. And yes, getting the proper schooling. I love what Maddie Jordan Woods at the uh, North Northside Association for Community Development is doing. She's uh, coming into the community and starting up job programs to teach people jobs. So she, she's had, they've uh, graduated some uh, PNAs recently and they're working on a new batch of, uh, of uh, people learning how to do carpentry, I think it is. And so, uh, you know, that kind of thing uh, was really, I mean, that's the kind of thing we need to fund it probably from the state level and, but get it to people like her that can do a great job of it and get people in the, in the less served community to, to uh, get them good jobs. Stephanie Moore, what solutions do you offer to support training for and access to jobs that can close the income equality gap and how is the COVID-19 pandemic being considered in your approach? Well, first of all, let's talk about a living wage. Let's make sure that everybody that is trained, skilled, and ready to work can go and earn a living wage to take care of their families. I also think it's really important to make sure we're supporting entrepreneurs and small businesses. Give people a chance to actually create generational wealth so that they can sustain themselves and their families for years to come. And then 
going into Lansing, specifically on House Bill 4184, this bill has sat in committee for an entire year. This bill would actually create jobs, it would create training and funding for skilled trade workers. So with me in office in Lansing, I would work with colleagues, even on the other side of the house, side of the aisle, to move this bill out of committee, to make sure that it is fully funded, and it is actually eliminating the barriers that are keeping people from work from sustaining employment, from actually being able to move to a long-term career that they can retire from. And also looking at legislation like the Pay Family Leave Act. During this COVID environment, we gotta look at uh, making sure we're taking care of folks even during their illnesses. We will move on now to housing and we'll start with Julie Rogers. What actions should be taken by the Michigan legislature to ensure that all residents have access to safe and affordable housing? Thank you for the question. I'm going to just start with saying uh, a little plug for our county commission uh, ballot initiative that is on November for a 0.75 millage for uh, affordable housing for our families. I was very proud to um, support the 0.1 mill that was put forward a number of years ago, and we've housed 500 families with children as a result of it. Um, I think we need to look towards innovative areas in Lansing and public-private partnerships wherever necessary. There's going to be a major budget shortfall, and uh, I think trying to figure out private-public partnerships as much as we can is important. Also, supportive housing and making sure that we have a mix of um, all incomes, because right now in Kalamazoo County, there's a shortage of housing at all levels. Um, low, 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 middle and high incomes looking at policies. Um, while we've, we've had uh, technically redlining on the books um, eliminated uh, by policy, we have not, um, we, we've, had gener we've had generational um, wealth gaps as a result and we need to do more to lift up those families. Gary Mitchell, the actions that should be taken by the legislature to ensure that all residents have access to safe and affordable housing. Well, okay, there's, I guess there's uh, what Julie was talking about was the, the, the county wide, there's a county uh, effort to uh, address that with, without, but I think that's the wrong forum. I think it should be do not done from property tax. When you take things like, do things like that with property tax, you're staying in a chance of, I mean, of putting, you know, there's senior citizens that are on a fixed budget. They keep, they keep raising their taxes and then they're going to end up losing their homes. They're going to be on the street. We're going to have to try to find housing for them. I think it's better to do that from maybe the state level where they have, we have access to different taxing mechanisms other than property tax. But other than that, I think it's a great idea. I mean, we need to, we need to help some people out and get them and, and get them good houses. Um, the reason of course, there's not, affordable housing is because it costs too much to make to, to make the houses and, uh, and, a, and a person doing that or contracts doing that can't make any money by making affordable houses we have we have to the only way we can do that is by uh, subsidizing it so thank you stephanie moore what action should be taken by the michigan legislature to ensure that all residents have access to safe and affordable housing First, let's keep them in their houses, Gordon. We are seeing during this pandemic the highest rate of evictions. We need to continue that moratorium on eviction, make sure that there's funding available to keep individuals in their houses uh, to maintain a stable environment, especially for families with children and senior citizens and our most vulnerable people. Also, we got to maintain the American dream. 
home ownership. We got to do mortgage foreclosure prevention. We have to educate folks on how to be mortgage ready, empower those uh, individuals to be able to do so. And we do have the oldest housing stock here in Kalamazoo County. So weatherization, making sure that these homes are safe that they're affordable uh, and that they that that through weatherization that people can afford it and not have to pay more in utility bills than they do in rent or in their mortgages. And we also got to look at these subsidized housing. MISTA uh, and, and HUD has to step up. The headlines was infestations in, in, in apartment complex here in Kalamazoo. That's unacceptable. No one even spoke out about that. We got to protect the low income, the senior citizens and the most vulnerable people in our community. Christine Morse, same question for you on housing. What actions should be taken by the Michigan legislature to ensure that all residents have access to safe and affordable housing? Well, the biggest thing the state can do is provide funding because really, truly, when we're talking about housing, that's a local issue. Our local communities are doing the planning and zoning for whatever housing will come about. But if the state can find room in the budget to support what the local communities are doing with, as commissioner, Roger said, you know, some public private partnerships, because we really need the private sector to come in and help us with this issue. The government cannot solve it alone. Um, I also sit on the South Central Michigan Planning Council. And um, through the experts that uh, serve that council, they are they're putting together a housing toolkit, which will provide local communities some tools to figure out where they need housing and, and what best fit what will be the best fit for their communities? So while we absolutely need to increase affordable housing, and I hope that we do, uh, we do pass the military in Kalamazoo because there's great need. We all talk about the homelessness problem that we have in Kalamazoo. Uh, we as a community have a duty to start to try to impact that. Move on to our next question, which is uh, healthcare. We'll begin with Gary Mitchell. What will you do to improve access and affordability to healthcare? Well, healthcare, of course, the federal government has usurped most of the, the issues in healthcare, but there are a few things that we can do at the state level. Uh, apparently, Michigan still has on the uh, still has on the record on the on the books this law about a certificate of need. So that's kind of an and your physician maybe he thinks that he can that he that his patients need a imaging more often than others or whatever. And he could put an MRI in his office, but he can't do that without somebody at the state level giving him a certificate of need and saying that there's nobody else that's, that's uh, nearby that's uh, that's offering that same service. And all that, basically all that does is, is, is an anti-competitive issue and keeps, and what, if he was to put his thing in, his, his MRI there or imaging machine, uh, he would, uh, the price of imaging in that area would go down. So uh, that's one thing. And there's there's several other issues that can be addressed too. Stephanie Moore, what will you do to improve access to and affordability of healthcare? Well, first of all, I'm gonna champion progressive candidates to be elected to make sure that we keep the Affordable Care Act, to make sure Obamacare stays in place and people have access to real healthcare coverage so that they can have healthcare access to improve their health outcomes. We have to be real about the needs in the community, the disparities that are happening all across the country and people need to have real coverage. And we need to push real legislation at the state and the federal level to ensure that that happens for all 
residents all across the country. Um, I'm doing a lot of policy work. I have that equity lens and that experience uh, on day one uh, in Lansing. I will be making sure that things that are sitting dormant, that I'm forging relationships, looking at those policies, putting them onto the floor and working with uh, my colleagues to get that done for all of, of, of the 60th district residents. We have to protect our most vulnerable, our children, our seniors, especially in the midst of COVID, where we know these issues are even more exasperated uh, because of this uh, because of this virus. And so real legislation, fully funded state and federal Thank level. Christine Morse, what will you do to improve access to and affordability of healthcare? You're muted. You're still muted. So sorry. As a breast cancer survivor, um, I have had to navigate our healthcare system. And even with good healthcare insurance, I had to jump through hoops. And uh, we know that the ACA is at risk of being overturned by the Supreme Court. And one of the prime requirements of the ACA was making sure, mandating that people with pre-existing conditions had to be covered by insurance companies. So because of the risk of that at the state level, we can mandate that insurance companies cover people with pre-existing conditions without applying some sort of premium. And as we know here, we have about 50% of the people in the state of Michigan with pre-existing conditions, let alone when we think about all the COVID you know, survivors who uh, will have ongoing things for the rest of their lives as well. So that's the number one thing I would do. I also would work to expand um, healthcare accessibility and affordability. Uh, we, we have Healthy Michigan already. It would be amazing if we could get more funding um, so that we could expand that um, and make it easier for people across the board to, to, to get their healthcare. Julie Rogers, your ideas for improving access to and affordability of healthcare. Thank you. Uh, I supported the ACA and the Affordable Care Act really allowed for expanding Healthy Michigan, which uh, put 500,000 extra Medicaid people on the Medicaid rolls. Um, and then the Republican, current Republican-led legislature uh, put some strict work, work requirements on for receiving Medicaid. I think your health care should be between you and your health care provider, not the state legislature. And so one of the top priorities I have is repealing those work requirements and allowing people to get back on Medicaid that desperately need it. Our most vulnerable, our children, our elderly, and our communities of color um, all need to be lifted up. The other um, policy uh, thing I think we need to champion is mental health parity. As Senator Stabenow likes to say, healthcare above the neck should not be treated any differently than healthcare below the neck and access in many communities is difficult. We're blessed with having ISK here, um, led by wonderful Jeff Patton and his great team, but not all counties have that luxury. Um, one of the best things about COVID has been allowing people to do telehealth and expanding telehealth options will be another asset. We'll move on to our next question. We'll begin with Stephanie Moore. Do you support gun reform in the state? If so, describe the top strategies you will promote. If not, explain your rationale. Absolutely. Sensible uh, gun reform is necessary. We have to make sure that we are doing comprehensive background checks, making sure folks that have violent backgrounds, but also uh, mental uh, health challenges uh, and those with substance abuse challenges, especially the people uh, that have domestic issues. We have to make sure that we have boundaries 
uh, throughout our community, uh, in schools, at places of worship where people are not bringing weapons into those safe spaces. And we need to do more in terms of gun education, making sure that people have access uh, to understanding how to own, be responsible, maintain, and have safe uh, gun ownership. Uh, the legislation definitely can be approved upon. That's definitely one of my uh, priorities. But I, I have to say that um, we have to look at the gun violence, what's happening here in Kalamazoo specifically. We're having gunshots every single day and no one is in this neighborhood, let alone speaking up or fighting for those individuals. If my neighborhood isn't safe, then the, your neighborhood across the railroad tracks will not be either. We have to have someone that knows and understands the, all of the culture of the community. Christine Morse, do you support gun reform in the state? If so, describe the top strategies you'll promote. If not, explain your rationale. So as an attorney, I understand that the Second Amendment is enshrined in the Constitution, and I respect that. But as a mother uh, who fears when her kids go to school, and uh, I remember my when my daughter was a first grader, her talking to me about active shooter drills and how horrific that is, uh, we need to start to do something to address the gun violence in this country. It is, in fact, a public health crisis. Uh, so number one, I would make sure we are mandating universal background checks, closing the gun show loophole. Um, we should put in place red flag laws that have already been offered in our state, uh, but have not passed through our legislature. Um, these laws rely on due process, um, but they do protect people, and, and, and that should be law in this, in this state. Um, we should also close the boyfriend loophole, which, is, which means that um, even if you're not married to someone, uh, you should be equally protected by the law if you have a, an abusive uh, partner. So um, I do believe in common sense gun laws, and I think that we need to do something uh, to fight all the gun violence that we have in this country and acknowledge that it's an issue. Thank you. Julie Rogers, do you support gun reform in the state? If so, describe the top strategies you'll promote. If not, explain your rationale. I do. Um, I'm also a candidate that has received a, the distinction, a candidate distinction from Moms Demand Action in every town for gun safety. Um, I think that we do need more comprehensive background checks and closing the existing loopholes. I really do um, support the Second Amendment as well. I grew up in a hunting family, um, but more needs to be done for closing the loopholes, particularly at gun shows. Um, we also passed a resolution that I supported at the Kalamazoo County Board of Commissioners on red flag laws. So that's an area that um, has not been advanced in Michigan um, and something that I, I think has sat in committee year after year after year. So that's something I would look forward to promoting if I have the privilege of serving at the state legislature. Um, and, and Commissioner Moore is right. We have had way too much gun violence in our community of Kalamazoo and more needs to be done as a community to um, prevent that and uplift our communities and change, change um, from, from a very young age and make sure that we offer opportunities for our youth so that they don't um, have a life of violence. Thank you. Gary Mitchell, do you support gun reform in the state? If so, describe the top strategies you'll promote and if not, explain your rationale. If you mean by gun reform, you mean uh, gun control laws, I don't, I don't support that at all. Uh, the gun, the, we do have the Second Amendment. We have the right to bear arms. And the point of that is to both defend ourselves, well, to defend ourselves from criminals and also from a tyrannical government. And uh, we need to keep that. We need to, we need to uh, hold that right dear. That's what, that's the right that, that, that protects all the other uh, amendments, all the other rights that we have. The right for free speech, the right for, uh, 
assembly, the right to uh, go to church. If, if we lose this right, this is the, this, the gun control is what happened, happens in Nazi Germany when Hitler took over, before he took over basically, or the first thing they do. This is what happens in all the countries where, you know, when Mao took over, basically take the guns away from the citizens. And it's, this is, a, it's not a thing that to do. We're one of the few countries in the world that still has the right to have their guns because we are a sovereign people. And so I think we should keep it that way. We're going to ask one final question, but in order to save enough time for uh, everyone to have two minutes for closing statements, I'm going to limit you to 30 seconds on this one. Uh, so think quick, right? Um, want to know what is your number one priority uh, as, as a state lawmaker if you are elected and what would you do about it? Christine Morse, you go first. All right, it's hard to choose, but I guess I would say uh, my number one priority is something that I already spoke to, which is uh, mandating coverage for people with pre-existing conditions. Um, it really just puts, if we don't do it and, and the Supreme Court overturns the ACA, it really puts uh, millions of Americans at risk of, uh, of having healthcare insurance be out of reach because it's not affordable. And let me tell you, as a person who has survived cancer, uh, the last thing you want to have to worry about is how you're gonna pay for your treatment. Julie Rogers, your number one priority and what you'll do about it if you're elected to the state legislature. Again, I also alluded to mine, it's absolutely improving access to healthcare for as many people as possible. As a physical therapist, I'm faced with this issue every day and it's why I am running for office. Uh, specifically, I would work to repeal the work requirements for Medicaid. Thank you. Gary Mitchell, your number one priority and what you'll do about it if elected to the state house. I think my number one priority is going to have to be schools. We need to fix our schools. We need to get, we need children uh, to graduate knowing how, knowing how our country works and having a love for this country. There's no reason why we can't in, induce in them a love. Like, uh, I mean, in other countries, um, they, they, they have unabashedly uh, induced, you know, like in China, they indoctrinate their kids to like the communist party of China. We should be able to, uh, indoctrinate our kids to love America, if you want to call it indoctrination. Thank you. Stephanie Moore, your number one priority and what you would do about it if elected to the state house. Number one priority is leading with ethics, making sure that I have that equity lens when it comes to budget. You got to have a financial uh, focus when we're looking at how we're funding all of these different things when it comes from health to education to economics to employment and especially the environment. The budget is the central plank issue in all of that. And so I want to make sure that we are getting the money uh, to where it needs to go so that we can raise up and stabilize and keep safe uh, all of our residents, employers, employees, our school folks, and our children and senior citizens. Thank you. So each candidate now has up to two minutes for a closing statement. We will start with Julie Rogers. I want to thank everyone for uh, this opportunity. We really appreciate it. It's been a crazy campaign cycle. And so any um, digital and social media opportunities like this, we really appreciate. Um, again, I am running as the only person in this race with healthcare background. And during this time of COVID, I think now more than ever, we need at least a few people in Lansing with some healthcare background for a different lens. We've um, spoken today on equity and racism issues. It, it goes across our state, across every county and across every area we've touched on today, whether it be education, healthcare, jobs, we really need to look through everything with an equity lens. 
Um, I think I bring a breadth of experience to the table and uh, my, my four different priorities are healthcare, like I talked about, environmental protection, criminal justice reform, as well as um, human rights. One thing uh, that wasn't asked today is about what we would specifically do on um, helping our LGBTQ plus community. And so Elliot Larson needs to be amended once and for all. I um, am a champion. Um, also, I would continue my work um, with partners on the Michigan Association of Counties. I think we need to reach out across all counties, rural, suburban, urban. Um, I'm a, ch a, ch a champion of working collaboratively, whether it be with the R's or the D's. And I think that's an important distinction because Lansing is going to be pretty much 50-50. It's gonna be a couple of D's in the lead or a couple of R's in the lead, but it's gonna be very close margin. My very first term on the County Board of Commissioners, I served in the minority 6-5 uh, Republican Democrat, and I learned very quickly to work across the aisle collaboratively to get things done. Um, I, I just am so hopeful for um, all that we can be done. I think it's a great time to, to be in office and it's an honor and a privilege to serve. For more information about me and what I stand for, you can visit my website, www.juliemrogers.com. Thanks. Gary Mitchell, your closing statement, two minutes. Hey, I'd like to thank, again, League of Women Voters for inviting me and, uh, and uh, you, Gordon, for coming and doing moderating this and Fran for timing us. And um, I'd like to, uh, and, and all the people that, that contributed to League of Women Voters to having the facilities to do this, I appreciate that. Um, I would uh, like to say that uh, we've been for a long time, we've been in, in uh, Kalamazoo for 28 years, there's been no, there's been a Democrat in, coming from Lansing into, uh, I mean, going to Lansing from Kalamazoo in this position. I would suggest that it might be, if you keep doing the same thing, you're gonna get the same results. I suggest maybe we try something different this time, vote in a Republican. Uh, what I wanna do in Lansing is, first of all, fiscal responsibility. We need to, we don't need to keep raising taxes every time we need something. The uh, Roads can, there's plans to fix the roads without raising any more taxes. And uh, that will, there's already, they're already kind of at an even keel. They're like, they're staying the same year to year, you know, 40% bad roads, 30% fair roads and 30% good roads. And uh, with a little bit more infusion, we can, we can sort of slowly ramp it up and do more and more good roads. And then once we get there, we'll have the, if we don't do this by, if we try to do this by taking bonds out, then when we get there, then we have then we have to pay the bonds off, and so then the roads deteriorate, deteriorate, deteriorate. So we kind of need to do it just gently, you know, slowly, and uh, get up there. That's an important issue, I think, for for us. I mean, everybody likes infrastructure, you know, right, driving on the roads, and and, and it's good for business. Um, yeah, we have to uh, see about all these businesses that went bankrupt, and can we do anything for them next year? I, you know, I don't know if there is any way to do anything. There's, you know, so many restaurants are out of business and so forth, but, uh, but we need to think about that. Thank you. Yeah. Stephanie Moore, your closing statement. You have two minutes. 
So when I took the time to lament on my decision to run as a write-in candidate in order to continue to put in our community first, I reflected on the stories I've heard in my many years leading the community through turbulent times. I thought about the relationships I've spent years cultivating to move our community forward. But most of all, I thought about how this place I call my home and I thought about uh, my heart and not have someone who could lead with ethics and values day one in Lansing, let alone someone who will be able to legislate unencumbered. So as we look at the landscape of our community, you will see many faces, you will hear many stories, fall in love with our resolve and tenacity. Our community is unconventional and striving to be more perfect every single day. Our community is also riddled with unique problems that the status quo cannot solve alone. Our community, I believe, deserves a choice that will put our community over politics, someone that will discern with ethics, and someone will be there one day with one priority, the success of our community. We deserve a leader who is built for turbulent times and who will put the community first. And as a social worker with my history and the accomplishments that I've made, I am that person. So I'm asking Kalamazoo, put your community first and write in Stephanie Moore, a proven leader that is committed to leading with ethics and values. I'm asking the community to please come together. We need to be united. We need to be strong as one. And we have to get the work done for everyone in Kalamazoo. And I'm prepared to do that. Having the most experienced, serving four terms as a city commissioner, as a county commissioner, in board leadership, serving on national boards, state boards, and regional, making policy when it comes to uh, uh, all of the things, the barriers that we talked about. I'm the only one here who has pinned policy and we'll go into Lansing with that experience. So I'm asking you write in Stephanie Moore on your absentee ballot or at the polls and you can learn more about myself, the campaign at more-2020.com. And Christine Morse, your closing statement, two minutes. Thank you again, uh, League of Women Voters for this opportunity to join the candidates of the 60th for this event tonight. And thank you to the sponsors for your generous contributions. I am a former attorney a former military spouse, a breast cancer survivor, mother of three public school kids, and a county commissioner. I plan to take all of those experiences and challenges that life has posed for me so that I can best represent the people of District 61. The challenges I face, whether we're talking about cross-country moves with the military, you know, crushing student loan debt, or a breast cancer diagnosis, all led me to have to be a decision maker and a problem solver in my life. And I plan to bring that to Lansing. The three top issues that um, we talk about the most and that we're talking to voters and, and they echo is number one, our education. We need to properly fund our education system so that all of our kids have the opportunity to, to succeed. And what we talked about earlier, which is uh, redoing our systems so that they actually work for the kids because we actually have proof. A study was performed in Michigan State that we know we are not having success and we need to do more. Number two, we need to protect our drinking water resources and our environment and plan for climate change. Uh, um, as Commissioner Rogers said earlier, we've had two instances of PFAS just here in our community, uh, let alone all the other infrastructure issues that we have, um, including protecting our Great Lakes. So I will work to do that at the state level. The third, as I mentioned multiple times, is of course mandating pre-existing conditions and making sure healthcare is affordable and accessible for everyone in our community. Uh, we need to make sure, uh, again, that we are improving equity in all these areas that we talked about because we have a lot of work to do as a community and a state. Um, 
I, I, I ran for county commissioner because I wanted to bring the responsive and transparent leadership that I felt our uh, District 9 uh, needed. And I plan to do the same for District 61. Uh, I really uh, look forward to uh, this uh, serving the people of the District of 61. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, candidates. Fran has some important voting information to offer in closing. Um, first, I'd like to thank Gordon for moderating and to thank all of the candidates from the 60th and 61st State House Districts. Um, Gary Mitchell, Julie Rogers, Stephanie Moore, and Christine Morse. Thank you for participating. We appreciate that. Again, I'd like to remind our viewers that recording of this forum may not be used without the express written approval of the League of Women Voters. The League will only allow audio video of this event to be shared in its entirety, except by the media reporting on this event. Uh, now here is election information for our viewers. The League of Women Voters Guide with Candidate Information is available online at vote411.org. The printed guide will be available in early October. You can register to vote online if you have a Michigan driver's license or state ID. This works only until October 19th. After that, you can register in person with your local city or township clerk you need to bring proof of where you live, for example, bring a utility bill. In-person voter registration works up to and on election day. For those who are already registered, you can request an absentee ballot. Any Michigan voter may vote absentee. You can find the details about how to request an absentee ballot on vote411.org or michigan.gov forward slash vote. If you have already requested an absentee ballot, your local city or township clerk will send you an absentee ballot in late September. The League of Women Voters reminds you to complete your ballot and return it as soon as you can. And also be sure to sign the outside envelope before you drop off or send in your absentee ballot. Many cities and townships have secure drop boxes where you may uh, deposit your absentee ballot or you may take it to your local clerk's office. If you send your ballot via US mail, please put it in the mail no later than October 19th to assure that it arrives before 8 p.m. on election day. Just to remind you, election day is November 3rd. The polls will be open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. If you vote in person, please take precautions against COVID-19 by wearing a mask and staying six feet away from others whenever possible. We urge you to vote, whether you vote absentee or you vote in person. Your vote counts. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate your um, coming to this forum.